0: and welcome to the auditorium podcast i'm your co-presenter dr bramwell oh, I'm and-,
1: coming through, coming through. No.
0: and here's watch
1: out ah, oh okay. ah. oh god brakes don't work
0: here's oh. mr manfield what contraption is that that you've managed to wheel into the studio uh,
1: well uh dave i'm very proud new owner of a uh, sinclair c5 there she is in all her glory 15 miles per hour top speed battery life of uh, up to 90 minutes, um, if you're lucky. There uh, there she is. My lovely, lovely new transportation vehicle revolution. And you've brought that into the studio because? Well, because it's cutting-edge technology. This this episode is, is all about um, revolutionary technology, I believe, is it not? It is. It is, yes. Um, maybe the C5 has...
0: Past its sell by date, do you think? I don't oh,
1: know. au contraire, Dave. Au contraire. They now change hands for five thousand pounds apiece. Yeah, but that's in an ironic way though, isn't it? Well the money's not ironic,
0: Dave. I paid five and a half for that. There you go. You know. you? And uh <laughs> We do getting here today, we are not concerned about being face-to-face face with the, you know, the wheel of a, There's of a, a truck. There's a lot of, yeah, there is a bit of a sort of crushy, trucky feel to it. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And, 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 does, cor- and do they actually
1: turn? Well, not so much, no. No, and they're not great at straight lines either. So. Hills? Hills, we don't really talk about hills. Hills are not really something I can do. Advantage over the bicycle? There are several advantages, um, but I can't actually name them now.
0: Good, right. Well, look. As we are doing cutting edge technology, I've invited into the studio a very special guest who's been sitting here very quietly so far, uh, Siri. Um, so, Siri, welcome to the Auditorium Podcast. How are you?
2: Hello, my name is Siri.
0: Ah, um, I sort of knew that already, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So, no, Siri, how are you?
2: I think you said the event horizon. Uh,
0: no, no, I'm not sure. Not I did actually? Um, no, no. Sure. How are you?
2: I think you said. Sock puppets.
0: Look, 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 look. We'll, we'll come back to okay, Siri. Yeah. Anyway, today's episode is about cutting-edge technology, and the reason for that is because our guest speaker, Jules Oliver, did a fantastic talk at Brighton's Catalyst Club in the summer of 2016 all about Concorde, her favourite topic. Oh. And Concorde was, and maybe still is, at the cutting edge of um, aeronautical te- technology. Would that be the right word? Yes, that's very yeah. good. Oh, aeronautical, I accept that. Yes, absolutely. Her and her husband...
1: Um uh, the, Phil the, Lucas, the, Phil Lucas, wonderful comic. They're both comics, of course. They are both obsessed and uh, go to their favourite thing is to go to airports and uh, lie at the bottom
0: of the uh, runway and watch uh, airplanes <laughs> taking off. <They're> crazy people. <laughs> well, here she is, Jules Oliver, on the topic of Concorde.
3: So, um, to start with, I'll tell you about what captured my imagination about Concord. So, um, as a youngster in the 80s, um, I lived in a really boring part of Essex. The most exciting thing about it was the fact it had a tube that could escort me out there as quick as possible. Um, And every so often, my mum would go, Julie, Concord's coming! And I would run outside to the patio, and up in the air, you'd see the sleek distinctive, elegant design of Concorde flying over our skies. And I, I think everyone that saw it thought that it was something really, really special. So from that day on, I was really kind of fascinated by Concorde. I was like, Mum, take me to Biggin Hill to see Concorde, because we'd never be able to actually fly on it. But um, So I really did... Um, it really did capture my imagination. I could never afford to fly uh, till I was 17. I certainly wouldn't have been able to have gone on Concorde. But... Um, Basically, um, British people really fell in love with it. And um, it would stop traffic wherever it went. So there you are, people just stopping to look at it every time that it went over. And it was that um, really special design that I think really sort of made people, you know, stop and look at it. And the noise it made as well, which is pretty loud. But, um, But it wasn't just a beautiful thing. It was also absolutely incredible technology-wise. It flew at Mach 2, which, as most people will know, is um, twice the speed of sound. Now, roughly translated, that is 1,350 miles per hour, which is actually faster than a bullet, And um, if you were to fly supersonically on Concorde from Manchester to London, that would take you seven minutes. So that's kind of how amazing it was. And the thing that really fascinates me about that is that that um, the first prototype for Concorde went up in 1969. So most people didn't have computers in their office then. Um, you know, we didn't have mobile phones yet. People were flying 60,000 feet. Above us, having a sipping on champagne, and also um, supersonic flight wasn't anything new in the 70s. Lots of um, lots of military planes had flown flown supersonically, but people that flew supersonically on military planes would have to wear um, oxygen masks and pressure suits. So the technology involved in getting concord up in the air in the 70s, where people could just be, just be sat there in their suits, um, sipping on the champagne, it was absolutely incredible. Um, also, yeah, as I said, she was, looked amazing. Um, she won the Great British Design Quest BBC and Design Museum, um, that was set up by the BBC and Design Museum, um, three years after she was taken out of service. The other thing that made her amazing was that we beat the um it that we was all in a war basically against um america we weren't in a war it wasn't a proper war i don't mean a war we were all trying to get there first people believed that supersonic travel was going to be the future people thought that now it was going to be everyone was going to be flying supersonically so we were in a race against america and against russia And the fact that America was overtaking us in um, everything aviation-wise, they had their 707 up there, their DC-8, which was the most popular plane at the time. The fact that the British and the French managed to beat the Americans was a massive big deal. Um, The Americans tried to um, create a supersonic plane. President Nixon announced in 1969 that they were going forward with it, and they stopped it in 1971, having spent as much money on... um, on their supersonic plane as we'd spent in ours up in the air. So that was a massive big thing. Um, closer to Concorde um, was actually the Tu-44 144, which was a massive surprise to everyone because it was a Russian plane and they actually got their prototype up prior to us. Um, however unfortunately in um, 1973 at the Paris Air Show the Russian supersonic jet actually crashed Um, and so that was taken out of service, eventually they got it up again but um, it only flew 55 times before it had another crash that was actually unconfirmed because it happened in Russian airspace and Russia don't really like you to know if crashes happen in their airspace so um, basically that never happened either so we were very very proud as a nation that um, we'd managed to be the first to get um, supersonic, a supersonic plane up there. So the other thing that was amazing about Concorde, apart—well, not amazing, but I'd say it's a good thing about Concorde was that um, it was really, really good for the Anglo-French relationship. So essentially, um, at the time, we were trying to get into the EEC, but Charles de Gaulle was very uh, suspicious of us, but in our close relationship with America. So he was, he was like, he didn't, want in, he didn't want us to be in the E.C. We wanted to get into the common market, but he wasn't having any of, the, of it. So we thought, it's funny how we've thrown that away now, isn't it, but um, a <laughs> bit weird. But we thought that our, um, if we signed this, tri- this agreement with France to build a supersonic um, plane, that actually that would bring um, us closer to France and um it did in some ways, but it was also beneficial to France because um, they 'd lost um, a lot of their planes um, um, they 'd lost a lot of their planes in, in the second world war they 'd gone quite far behind in terms of that aviation so Britain um, sort of really helped them move forward technology wise so it was really mutually beneficial to both of us and concord actually means union so um which was ironic really because there was a massive argument um when concord first came out whether it was going to well when they were talking about concord whether it was going to have um an e on the end or not because the british felt like it was too french if it had an e on the end uh so tony ben turned around and said no e stands for england and Ecos." And eventually, so we managed to get our own... Well, we managed... Well, he managed. Tony Ben managed to get his own way, so it's very clever of him. But um, also, um, across Britain and France, uh, 200,000 people were employed um, to build Concorde. So it was... Um, at the time, it was an amazing thing. So, as I said, she does look absolutely beautiful and unique, but the reason she looks like that isn't just because of... Um, for style reasons, there's actually reasons. So she had these um, delta wings. Now, obviously, I'm not an aeronautical engineer, but as you as you may be able to tell, but she had to have these wings to fly supersonically. Um, most um, planes, most military planes you'll see will have these. They have to be thin. And funnily enough, in the... Um, in the early stages of design, they were actually going to try and find a way to get people to sit in the wings. Right? I don't know how that was going to work, but the problem actually with these wings as well is that you, um, the plane has to take off at a 10 degrees angle, so I think it was pretty sort of hair-raising, but that's why you also get... So that's how high... She, um, that was the degree she had to go at, but that's why you also have these massive wheels on Concorde, And you also had wheels at the back, wheels there, and wheels quite far um, down from the nose um, because of this degree, uh, this angle she had to take off at. Concorde wasn't allowed to fly supersonically over land because it would be too loud. And um, it was banned from going over Saudi Arabia because they thought it might stop their camels breeding. (laughs) That's my fact about Concorde. (laughs) So um, she had this also this really distinctive droop nose as well, which... Basically, another something they also had to figure out is a slight flaw in Concorde was that you couldn't actually see the runway uh, <laughs> when it was up. So, um, so they had to develop this uh, droop nose. And as I said, it, was, um, it did make the plane quite pretty iconic, um, even featuring in a Heineken advert... And you know you've made it if it features in the Heineken advert, don't you? Another thing that was kind of a problem for the engineers, but also which made it quite distinctive, was the fact that um, it had to have white paint. Um, so if you think about when you've ever seen Concorde, it would only have been white. And that's because of something called uh, kinetic heating. Um, so although Concorde flew at 60,000 feet, it also, um, that meant it was freezing outside But the friction along the um, plane actually made it 127 degrees. So it was baking. (laughs) Is that a good word? 127 degrees. The scientific term is baking. Uh, Yes, it was boiling. So um, it had to have that white paint on it. Um, And it was double as reflective as any other paint. Also... Um, with the kinetic heating concord could expand up to one foot it expands out and he the captains could get their hats because it had made it got that big a gap during flight that they could stick their hats in it and that actually remains there now that was the um last flight i think that's signed by mike bannister there one of the um pilots that's it (laughs) uh yeah no actually there was one time when concord wasn't white. Basically, as I said, Concord couldn't go supersonic if it wasn't white. Well, it could, but the paint had all come off. So they let Pepsi pay all this money, um, and then once it was done, they told them that they couldn't go supersonically. (laughs) Um, But uh, they could, but only for 20 minutes, which wasn't really that great. So apparently they weren't happy about that. Um, Lastly, the engines were about three times as um, powerful as a jumbo jet on Concorde to get it supersonic. Now, what was I going to talk about next? Ah, so another reason that uh, Concorde sort of captured the imagination of the British and why we sort of loved it a little bit is with all things British, it was a complete underdog. Okay. Concorde had, in the 60s, Over 100 orders, Pan Am, Air France, Continental, all the lot. And then, just as it was about to um, launch or they had to commit, they all cancelled, every single one of them. So you had this beautiful technology, it had the eyes of the world, but not the orders. So um, the only people that were going to fly it was uh, British Airways and Air France. And the only reason they were going to fly it is because they were tied into agreements with their government um, who had basically said they'd underwrite all the costs if um, they lost money on it. So, sadly, Concord didn't get off to a flying start. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, they were all cancelled. So, why did people cancel? So, basically, um, the Russian crash, as much as you'd think... Not obviously, the crash isn't a good thing, but you might think having less competition would help. It didn't. Um, actually, it just made people very nervous of supersonic travel. Um, America had... Um, was Observers said that America's a kind of had the attitude, if you can't beat them, question their econ- the economies of their project. So a lot of people were thinking, well, if America aren't doing it, surely there's something wrong with it. There's also a world oil crisis, and by this point, America had actually um, built their 747. So, sadly, the, th- the trend was going towards um, a lot cheaper, cramming more people in, and Concord, because it needed to be slim, Concord could only have 128 uh, passengers at any time. So, things weren't looking that good. The other thing, they did eventually get it going, and Concord's first... Um, Scheduled flights were to... um, British Airways ones were to Bahrain. And the um, French one was to Rio. The reason it wasn't to America, which is what we wanted, is because lovely America... Banned Concorde. So um, Concorde wasn't allowed to fly. Um, one of, there's lots of different reasons that I haven't got time to go into. But one of the reasons is they were worried about sonic booms. Um, so sonic booms obviously happen when you fly supersonically. They had no reason to worry about that because Concorde was never going to fly over land because all of the windows would have been smashed when it was going supersonically. Um, also, one of the reasons why Concorde never quite took off as I'm not they're just coming to me these puns um <laughs> I didn't write them um yeah so anyway but it was one of the reasons why it you'd never have worldwide um supersonic flight because you couldn't go from LA to New York for example because you're not allowed to fly supersonically so you just it would just be another plane and quite a thin plane as well. In 1981 the future even though it by then actually it was overturned a year after it had got uh, Concorde had got going. Um but the future did look quite bleak for Concorde in 1981 and the British government had said um we're thinking of stopping it basically. So the chairman of British Airways said, look, can we just buy it off of you? So we bought uh, we don't work for british airways uh, we <laughs> uh, british airways bought um concord for 16.5 million and a first year's profits and um the chairman i think it was sir king <laughs> yes i didn't write that down um he basically um turned it around and he um asked its frequent flyers from london to new york how much do you think Concorde costs and um because all the PAs of these businessmen were the ones that um, booked it, they had no idea. They thought it was a lot more expensive. So in an unprecedented move, um, Sir King put all the prices up of Concorde and it turned its fortunes around and it became a really profitable airline. So it started... Um, so not only did it go to Barbados in the summer, it went to New York, it had um, charter flights. It used to go out to Monaco for, on these char- tour operators and stuff. So it was doing... It was doing pretty well. So um, it was a first-class experience on Concord. So I wouldn't say the fact that it was first-class is something that I prefer the sort of engineering side of it and how it looked and how amazing it was. Something that's quite elitist isn't necessarily something that I would say makes me think that's amazing. But just for argument's sake, this is what it was like. It's um, You've got these, sort of food you could like. He says, on a typical Concord Atlantic crossing, you'll be served with a morning meal, lunch or dinner... Delicate canopies ac- ac- accompanied by fine champagne precede a meal selection designed by our own award winning chefs in association with some of the world's culinary masters. Damask table linen and fine wedgewood and royal doors from China set the tone for a meal that's unparalleled in the air. So, there you are, you get the gist with that, anyway. <laughs> It was uh, it was pretty good. Fred Flynn, a regular flyer, said it, it lived and breathed. And if I wasn't so nervous, I could say the word anthropomorphising uh, Concord. But um, yeah, I think people did did just saw it as. You know, almost like a person. But um, it was mainly sort of heads of the states, royalty, businessmen. And at £7,000 for a return flight from London to New York, that's hardly surprising. So, um, also, as I mentioned, it was quite a slim plane, which it had to be to fly supersonically. Here's some of the celebrities that flew on it. Haven't I mean, we obviously got time to go through them all? Apparently, Dinah Ross hit a security guard as she was getting on. Um <laughs> Michael Jackson, apparently he was very nice, but he used to get... bought two planes just for himself... uh, planes, two seats just for himself, and then he'd um, basically take a blanket out of the overhead locker and then just pull it over his head for the whole journey, um, as did Grace Jones. Um, So, yeah, so he had a lot of um, celebrities on there. Oh, and also, never forget this. um, Don't hold it against Concord, but Live Aid. Yes, so as we might remember, Phil Collins managed to play in Philadelphia and London on the same day, thanks to Concord. So... Moving on, so Concord... Yeah, it was uh, perceived as a privilege of the rich, but they did have the charter flights and sort of moderately well-off enthusiasts, a 105-year-old lady. She went from the Bay of Biscay to Bristol. So you could, if you really wanted to sort of save up, I guess you could have a trip on it as well. But, um, so that sort of Concord, she was going really well, and then a lot of people say, so why did Concord... Loads of... All the time, down the street. (laughs) Lots of... (laughs) All the time. Uh, Lots, so lots of people sort of say, oh, why did, why did Concord um, end? Was it because of the Paris crash? Um, so I'll just quickly talk about the Paris crash. So, um, and to talk about the Paris crash, you have to talk about another plane called the DC-10. So I don't know if any of you are familiar. They were one of um, America's most popular uh, they pla- passenger planes. Um, now, whereas Concord had a... Um, a Brilliant safety record. Um, She'd never had a crash until that day in 24 years. Um, The DC-10 has had 55 accidents, 32 where they lost a fuselage, with 1,261 fatalities, right? And they were well known for just dropping out the sky for no reason, the DC-10. Now, on that day, that horrible day, um, the DC-10 had just taken off um, at Paris, and a bit of shrapnel fell about this long. Um, Concord's wheel went over it, burst the wheel. That sparked a... Um, hit the wing, which had the fuel in it, which caused a spark, which set the whole thing going... set the whole thing up. There are lots of other rumours. Apparently the Air France planes weren't as well maintained and they believe it was overweight and maybe... Wouldn't have gone over that bit of shrapnel if it wasn't didn't have extra nine bags on it. So, anyway, as, as, so that was horrible. 109 people died on board that day. So they took um, all of the Concorde's um, certificates of airworthiness away from them. But they did get up in the air about a year later. They'd had been reinf- they reinforced the wings and they were as safe as they ever had been. Um, but sadly... The f- God, this really does end on a horrible note. So, sadly, the... Um, The day that Concorde got back up in the air with its Certificate of Airworthiness restored was September the 11th, um, the day of the Twin Towers. Um, So obviously, you know that. You didn't need me to explain that. So after that, um, basically, people didn't have any faith in air travel um, and um, Concorde needed to be 60% full to um, make a profit. And just after September the 11th, it just wasn't happening. Uh, So it did fly for a few more months and then Airbus announced that they were going to take away their maintenance um they maintained concord so they said they were going to take that away so there was just it was just not economically viable anymore so it was sort of to do with the crash but it was more about economies so that was the end of concord so um there was lots of sort of things that went on around the world um october the 24th 2003 they had to erect stands at um, Heathrow so that everyone could say goodbye to her. So, um, yes, yeah, so a lot of people were quite angry about it because they could obviously still still fly, and there are people trying to get her back up in the air at the moment. But where are they now? So this is what I'll end with. Um, so this is where all there's 18 Concords left. Um, there's 14 that were in service. The rest were pre-prototypes um, and... Um, what they call production models—they're um, in, they're all over the place. France, Germany, um, all around the place. I've seen a few of them myself. Because some of, the, obviously, some of the prototypes don't even have the seats because they were the very early ones that were just testing if they could actually fly or not. And also, the one at Manchester was. Um, when they took it out of service after the Paris crash, they got um, Terence Conran to do some of the um, interiors. So some of them are more sort of spruced up. Generally, they're the same, Um, all the ones that actually flew. um, It's just in terms of whether they were updated or not after the Paris crash. And that flagship one at Manchester... You can actually get married on Concord in Manchester, yeah. And I'm not married, and I went up there with my boyfriend. (laughs) And um, (laughs) no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah. But, what no, 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 but...
1: <laughs>
3: no, but what we did realise is that you'd have to... Like, y- your dad would have to stand behind you as he walked you down the aisle if you got married, uncle-uncle. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think the thing was, is although they weren't the most spacious planes, they... Um, you were only on them for three hours. That was the thing. So, any, any sort of of the like, there was obviously, you know, people sort of said, you know, it uses up a lot of fuel, and it did, but it was half the time of another plane. So, it's sort of all evened out, really.
0: Jules Oliver there on the topic of Concorde. It's interesting because there are many parallels between the C5
1: and Concorde. Um, not immediate, but there are.
0: You're going to share them, aren't you?
1: I am. I am going to share Well, well you know, the, uh, obviously it's a, a terrific technology, um, Concorde, yeah. um, but sadly, you know, no longer of any commercial use. And I have to say the C5, for all it was lampooned at the time, uh, has become a, a terrific technology now. You know, electric bikes, uh, omnipresent, and it's essentially the same thing, um, and uh, Segways, just a vertical version that they've done very well, and, of course, electric cars, which are the future. I mean, it's all, it's all sort of come from that general route, Mm-hmm. Um, and and they've now of course designed by Lotus the body uh, of the C5, so it's sort of a sort of got a cult classic status now. And they've got uh, owners clubs, and in owners clubs they 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 do all sorts of them. They fit monster wheels, they fit jet engines, they fit high powered batteries. The top speed for a Sinclair C5 is now 150 miles per hour. I'm assuming that's not on the open road. Oh. And and likewise with the Concorde. Concorde has. Uh, got an appreciation club, largely of ex-pilots and and, and wealthy businessmen who who missed the days of flying to New York in two hours. Hmm. And they've managed to get together £120 million to buy one and they're going to do it up
0: and get it back into serviceable usable state within the next 4 years. Yeah, I think Jules is hoping hoping that this is going to happen as well so that yes. she'll be able to take her first first Concorde flight. Well, I hope she's saving now because it won't be cheap. <laughs> it's not going to be cheap, is it? No. Wasn't it was it was it Concorde that Phil Collins
1: travelled on when he did? Yes, he when did, he did his pointless playing playing drums badly in one
0: uh oh, he's sorry, not a, a bad drummer. It. Let's let's no, give him let's give him that. He's not, a bad he's team, not a, just, just a bad person. Oh. I hope you're not listening, Phil. Um, <laughs> I hope you um, are, Phil. Great fan of your later work, particularly Susudio. I'm, not, the I'm um, not, not a fan of your Conservative Party uh, donations. <laughs> How is he? Is he? A, yeah. Is he? Massive How is story. he? Threatened to leave the the uh, country. When yes, he did actually, didn't and he, he? Yeah, but yeah. But he didn't. And then he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Empty threats. Anyway, look, yeah. we're not getting on, to Phil Collins. Here. Well, uh, Dave, I'm a bit embarrassed. We've got a guest in the studio, and we've been ignoring her for the I last know. for the last five our, minutes.
1: A charming guest.
0: Absolutely, he's been sitting there quietly. Um, and patiently uh, Siri, welcome to to the auditorium podcast it's It's a delight to have you on as, as a guest and And as our listeners know, your job really, which is no small thing is is to provide answers to those burning questions that that the human race have to try and understand their place. In the universe, yeah. and we, so we, you know, Dave and I would like to, you know, do a, an informal interview. So, you know, don't be nervous. Yeah, just, and just kind of get under the skin of Siri. We're, we're always absolutely. getting the business screw. We want to get to know the real Siri. And people, people are always joking that, that that you can't ask, you know, that that you are unable to answer any any, you know, serious or searching questions. Um, which of course, obviously, is nonsense. But we're, so we're going to start with with a simple, you know, we'll, we'll start you simply with um with asking what uh, Siri, what time is it?
2: I think you said Manchester. No,
0: I. I, I, Do you I want think. To
1: yeah, she's to... she's not quite getting it. Let's try again. Okay. Um, Siri, what time is it?
2: I think you said Brad Pitt.
1: Oh, cameras on. Oh, she's just seeing me. That's uh, try, You try, David. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll turn it away.
0: Um, well, uh, Siri, as you know, we're a, we're a podcast obsessed with biscuits. So my question is, Siri, what is a biscuit?
2: I think you said trouser snake. Thanks. What? Here is a picture of trouser snake. Whoa! Put that away.
0: No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remember posing for that one. Hmm. I uh, think
2: you said long ghosting. What? Shush,
0: shush. Right. Okay. Um, uh, maybe we need to get more personal. More straight with these questions. Yeah, we're getting under the skin, aren't we? Under quite. the skin. Ask a personal S- question. Siri, have you got a boyfriend?
2: Get real. I'm out of your league.
0: It's quite true, actually. Yeah, probably is. Yeah. A bit of an, an issue, doesn't she?
1: Um, so, well, okay. let, me try, let me try one. Uh, what is the auditorium podcast?
2: If you said something, it was too boring to answer. It
0: doesn't normally say that, does it? No. Uh, let's. Uh, Siri, what is the auditorium podcast?
2: I think you said numpty. Here is Donald Trump.
0: That's. Oh, God, it does look like you. It really looks like you, Dave
1: doesn't look like me i've never made that connection before but you could be twins couldn't you <laughs> that's amazing
0: uh, this try- isn't this interview is is not going well no is it really it's quite stilted um let's
1: uh let's get down to nitty gritty let's ask something that you know she can't avoid so
0: okay. yeah go on then so
1: who's the best presenter on the auditorium podcast david mounfield or dr Bramwell?
2: i think you said bumholes. what I think you said bumholes. No,
0: no, Siri, who is the best presenter, me or Dave?
2: I think you said bumholes. It's me,
0: isn't it? Bumholes. No, it's me. Bumholes. Or Balfour. Bumholes.
2: Bumholes. Bumholes.
0: Bumholes. Switch her off, Dave. Switch her off. I
2: can't. I can't. <laughs>
0: Switch her off. I'm trying. I'm <laughs> trying.